Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy today. How many of you have had a mobile device that didn't sustain its charge? You're always having to look for a place to uh, plug in. It seems as, as it ages, you have to plug it in more and more just to keep it mobile. It's kind of interesting as you walk through airports, there's people all around standing up against the wall with their mobile device plugged in, and they are anchored there until it gets its charge back. In the verse we read today, God is reminding us to be fully charged and what that looks like. That in fact, the more that we walk with him, the greater our capacity we will have to remain charged, to remain filled with his spirit. And so we don't want to miss that, even though sadly many people do. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, Paul writes to, this, to a younger minister, and he says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Father, we thank you today for your word and pray you would uh, let us be charged by it. Let us see the places of our life where we need to walk fully charged by you. And Lord, let us be a people who do your work as we walk on this earth. I thank you for this congregation. I love them. Father, I know you love them. And I pray they would be mighty in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We don't have to walk through this journey alone. We go through this journey of life, and the Spirit of God is here for us. He's not far from any of us. We have to learn to open our heart to him and to receive him and to lean into his presence as we walk through the life. Through life. You will face challenges in this life. Some of us are facing great challenges right now. Things that we can't overcome on our own. And the question is, are we ready to face those challenges? And will we be ready to face those challenges? In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we see that the armies of Israel and the Philistines are aligned for battle. It's an old story. It's a story that all of us are familiar with to some extent where Goliath, the giant, the trained warrior, is offering a challenge to the armies of Israel. Send your champion out to fight me. And it's an interesting scripture that tells us that that, that the armies of Israel, the men of Israel, the warriors of Israel, the king of Israel, Instead of facing that battle and walking into that battle, they fall back filled with fear. The Bible says much fear. They are terrified. And they talk about the fact that surely, surely he has come to defy the armies of Israel. They are filled with fear. The circumstances of life seemed aligned against them. That's what happens to us at times in life. We come to places in life where the circumstances of life seemed aligned against us. 
And yet we know in this story that a young teenage boy shows up in the middle of those circumstances to deliver some food to his brothers, and he hears this challenge coming against the armies of Israel. And this young teenage boy, instead of stepping back and being filled with fear, we find him saying, who is this guy who thinks he can defy the armies of God? What do we have to fear in the face of this guy? And instead of being fearful, he's stepping up and he's ready. He's ready to face the battle. He's ready to face the challenge. Are you ready to face the challenges in your life? Are you ready for the next great challenge? To be able to face it with faith in God. All of them serve the same God. David's brothers who were there lived in the same home. What was the difference between them and him? Now, in the, now on their journey, all of them are filled with fear with the exception of this teenage boy. When David is asked what makes him think he can take on this giant, why doesn't he fear? He speaks clearly about the knights alone as a shepherd. When smaller enemies, it would seem great even in our sight today, bears and lions, came against him to destroy the flock, and instead of fleeing from them, he learned how to walk in the power of the Spirit of God, and he overcame them and defeated them. And he leaned on that experience to say, that same God who helped me against the lion and the bear will help me against the giant. See, the small battles that we face are important for us to face in faith. The daily struggles in our life that we face are important for us to face them in faith because they prepare us, build us, strengthen us, inoculate us to the fear the enemy would put in us about an enemy that would come against us to destroy us. God doesn't give us a spirit of fear. Yet like the armies of Israel, many people are not prepared because they've never learned fearlessness in their daily battles. In the daily places where we choose to obey God or not obey God, they never come to a place where they learn they can fully trust God. Sonia faced a place like that in her life 20-some years ago. And she decided to, face, to, to trust God and to put her faith in God. And she saw God begin to move in her life. It's these daily places of battle where we learn to walk in the fearlessness that God has for us. In the book of Daniel, we see a, a, a multitude of people brought before an idol and told to bow before this idol and to worship it. And in that place, there are, there are many children of Israel in that room that day that have been carried off into Babylon and been carried off into that place. And when all of these people bow before the idol, there's only three that remain standing. And they stand there 
And they're given a second chance because the king says, if you don't do this, you're going to be destroyed. And they look at the king and they say, you know what? No matter what you do to us, we believe God's with us. And even if we are destroyed, God's still true. But if he wants to keep us, he'll keep us. And the fire is heated up and they are thrown into it. And friends, what we learn is that many times in the heat of the battle is where we meet the presence of God. The king looks in and says, I don't see three men in there. Didn't we just throw three in? I see four, and one of them looks like the Son of God. Many times it's in the heat of the battle that, are, that those who oppose us and that those who don't believe what we believe see the glory of God all around us if we're willing to walk fearlessly with God. But I want to tell you today, you don't get to that point you don't grow to that point to face the giants and to face the furnaces of this world unless you've been faithful in the daily struggles to say, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to follow him. I'm going to do my life God's way. See, when we do that, God pulls that spirit of fear out of us because we learn we can trust him. He doesn't give us a spirit of fear. He gives us something completely different than that. But we have to learn as we walk through it. So here's the question. Are you learning fearlessness? Abraham is told as an old man that he's going to be the father of multitudes. All the circumstances are aligned against him. All the natural courses of life are aligned against him. It doesn't seem like any of that can come true. And yet the Bible says he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. When we choose to believe God, when we put our faith in his promises, God counts us as an act of righteousness that we're doing the right thing. And it may, the circumstances may not always be aligned for us. The circumstances at times may seem like they are against us. But God will bring us through the battle and help us overcome when we learn to walk in the fearlessness of God. So today, I want to challenge you today. At the end of this service, we're going to take a moment and our prayer teams are going to come down here to pray. And If you're facing something in your life and it's got you pretty terrified, or you're facing a big decision and it, it really weighs out between am I going to obey God or disobey God, if you're in a place where you're being called to, to bow before some idols or to fall back before a giant and you're needing the strength to stand in the hour, I want to encourage you to come down and let somebody pray with you today. We're going to pray that God, who doesn't give us a spirit of fear, will give you a spirit of strength to face whatever you're facing. Now, here's what God does give us. He gives us a spirit of power. There was a man who came to church here a little bit a number of years ago. And I was around him a bit, and he was kind of a successful guy, or at least he thought he was. And... Uh, I heard him pronounce, he had this little favorite saying that he liked to say when he was dealing with his family or dealing with his employees or dealing with other people. He would say this, that he'd say, I believe in the golden rule. And you know, my first thought when I would hear that, that's good, we should believe in the golden rule. 
And then he would define the golden rule. He would say, he with the gold rules. Now, you understand that's completely not biblical, don't you? That's, that's the power of the flesh and the power of this world. There are many ways to exercise power. If you have money, you can exercise power with your money. You can try to manipulate things with your money. You can try to control things with your money. You can try to do things with money. People do that in the church. They'll come in and they'll say, I've got this much money to give to you if you'll do this, this, and this. And there's been times I've had to look at people and say, you've got to keep your money. Because we're not going to do that. We're going to do what's biblical. We're going to do what's true to the Word of God. But there are people who try to rule their children, try to rule their places with the money that they have. Uh, people try to m- rule with emotions. They'll try to rule their children with their emotions. They'll try to manipulate the, the emotions of their family. There are people who have positional power, and if we sit in it, we, you, can, you can exercise positional power, and sometimes you have to exercise some positional power. But hear this. In all of the power that we can have by the things of this world, it all runs out. There comes a day when you're ruling people by money that they want something more than they want your money. There comes a day when you're manipulating them with, your emo- with emotions, trying to control them with their love for you or their commitment to you or fear of being rejected by you, that they have something they want more than they want your approval. And all of a sudden, you run out of power. There comes a day when your position, the positional power that you have, doesn't mean as much to them as somebody else or something else. And the positional power shifts in their lives. And all of a sudden, you run out. See, natural power has a short shelf life. Spiritual power has the backing of the Spirit of God. Spiritual power carries the weight of the presence of God in the middle of it. See, I I can control my children when they're little, but when they grow up, they're going to go their own way. But if I've walked with them in the power of money or the power of emotions or the power of just being bigger and stronger than them, the day comes when all of that loses its weight. But if I teach them to love God, I speak to them through their life as they're growing up as the voice of God. If I speak his will into their life and lead them into his presence, if I live righteously in front of them and walk in front of them, the day comes when they can go out on their own, but my voice still has some weight because it brings the conviction of God with it. It brings the direction of God with it. Do you find yourself in places of powerlessness where you should have power? Places where your voice and your influence means little, but it should mean much? Maybe over your own self. Maybe over our family. It should have influence. It should sway them. It should impact them. But they dismiss it. They set it aside. 
You're powerless. Maybe in our friends' lives, that instead of us being heard, we're ignored, we're unheard, we're dismissed. We've lost the power to influence. Because, see, what we've walked in all those years is the power of our relationship or the power of our fun or the power of our personality or the power of our gold. And it loses its strength. But, friends, when we walk in the power of the Spirit and we speak as Spirit-filled, Spirit-led people, that influence still carries weight in our life. Spiritual power flows from our submission to God and our ear to his will. Because when you speak in the authority of God and you're speaking at the right moment, at the right time, and you're building that relationship under the anointing of God, it brings a power into the conversation that comes from his spirit in your life. Spiritual power comes through prayer for the people we want to influence. Let me tell you, in a few weeks, Easter will be here. Easter's, they say, the easiest Sunday in the year to get people to come to church. Do you have the influence to get anybody to come to church? Do you have the spiritual power, the authority to speak to a friend and say, listen, it's Easter, come to church with me. Do you have any spiritual power in your life to be an influence of the people in your life? Can you sit down with them at any point in time and, ha- and, and talk out of concern for their life that penetrates darkness and brings life into people's lives? Can we pray for the power of God to move in the lives of our children, speak to them in prophetic power so that they want to align themselves with the will and the Word of God? Do we have power Or are we powerless? God doesn't give us a spirit that is powerless. He gives us a spirit that carries power, that brings conviction, that brings light, that brings truth. But I want to tell you, it all starts with our voices being lifted to God to discover not our will, but God's will. Our voices are supposed to carry the weight of God's conviction. Now, we can undermine that weight by our hypocrisy, by our unfaithfulness, by trying to manipulate things for our will. But when we walk under the anointing of God, praying for God's will, seeking God's will, not our own, then we carry the Spirit of God. When they hear us blow up and curse and use God's name in vain and try to manipulate out of our own power, when we bully them with our strength, when we try to manipulate them instead of being a people who are spirit-led, we undermine the convicting power of God. But when we step back and say, you know what, we're going to lead by as a spirit-filled, spirit-led people, then, friends, we begin to have influence over our family and our friends because of the power of God in our life. So I would ask you, I would challenge you, in your children's lives, in your family's lives, are you walking in power? Is there spiritual power to your words? Do you bring light into the darkness? Are your words shut down? Because if they are, it may be time for some repentance. 
It may be some, some time to go and, and apologize to some people. And it may be a time for you to start praying with a new fervor for the people in your life that you love. The second thing that God gives us besides a spirit of power is he gives us a spirit of love. And I think this is fundamental to having power in people's lives. Love changes the way you see the world. When you see the world through the eyes of wanting the best for others because Jesus wanted the best for you. When that, when that spirit, the spirit of Christ, begins to reign in you and all of a sudden other people's needs do matter, other people's problems are a concern, other people's issues need our help instead of that's their problem. That's their issue. That's not my issue. You know, I think one of the worst things we can say is I don't care. When we say I don't care, you know what we're saying? I don't love. Oh, I don't care about the people around the world. That's their problem. They should find God on their own. We're just saying I don't love. I don't care about my coworker at work whether he comes to Christ or not. What we're saying is I don't love. I don't care about your issue. We're saying I don't love. Love changes our priorities. Love changes us. And I, I want to warn you today that we don't get that on our own. We don't develop that on our own. We develop that by recognizing where we don't love and asking God to heal our spirits. God, here's a group of people I don't love too much. I recognize that because I, I could care less. God, heal my broken heart. Fix me. Change me. God is loving. When God's Spirit dwells in us, we see the world through the lens of love. And we talked about this a little bit last week, but in one of the countries that we were in, uh, as we discussed our family, there were people in the room who are not Christians who couldn't understand how bringing children into our family that were not our biological children, how that could work. They just didn't comprehend well, you're going to love your kids more than them. You're not going to be, it's going to bring disruption between them and your, your biological kids. There's going to be all kinds of problems. And we begin to talk about how God moves in our heart and changes us. How God puts his spirit in our lives and transforms us. It's the very reason we do things like missions. It's because God changes our heart and gives us an eye and a heart for the world around us. God's love challenges the selfish tendencies of life. And instead of being closed and selfish, we become a people who want to give of ourselves to be a blessing to others. And so I want to challenge you today to think about your life and to say, how open are you in life? How caring are you in life? How much do you care about the world that we live in? How much do you care about the people around you? How much do you care uh, about the circumstances of life that you see? Is, it, is there a heartbeat of love in your spirit? Okay, let me tell you. I'm going to tell you something that's very confusing. I don't want to ever go to Disneyland again in my life. But I want to go to Disneyland sometime soon. That doesn't make sense, does it? 
I don't want to go to Disneyland because if, if you just, just say, hey, Pastor, we're going to fly you personally down to Disneyland. Maybe you and Renee can go down there together. Here's a free pass. I'd, I'd say thank you, but no thanks. I really, I'd rather have something else besides. But I have some grandkids I want to take to Disneyland someday. See, that's, that's, that's the difference that happens in our life. All of a sudden, the things we don't care about we begin to care about because it's good for somebody else. If it was just us, we wouldn't do it. Disneyland is not a vacation to me. It's work. I am more tired and wore out and frustrated when I'm done than when I went. Standing in those lines drives me a bit batty. But when I said, I remember a number of years ago we were there and Michael was about five years old. And we'd just done something, and he and it just wrapped up, and he jumped up on a bench, and he threw his arms around me, little five-year-old kid, and said, Daddy, thank you for bringing me here. And I thought, these guys have something going on. <laughs> Do you understand? Love makes us care about things, want to do things, that before we didn't care about. Love changes us. Love transforms us. It's why giving to the church or to missions is either driven by guilt or driven by love. And if it's driven by guilt and if it's driven by us presenting some great, you know, issue that stirs you up emotionally and that's it, then at the end of the day you may feel resentful about that. If it's given because you love people, you love our community, you want to see our church minister to more people, you want to see, you want to be a part of touching more people's lives, you want to be a part of making a difference, then when you give, it's joyful because you love. If you get involved in a ministry because some ministers come up to you and say, you know what, you should really be involved in a ministry. You need to get involved. Okay, well, I'll, okay, if that's what it takes to be, I'll do it. And you go get involved in that. You kind of drag your feet. You get there only when it's convenient for you to get there. It's not too big a deal to you. But when you fall in love and say, you know what, I just love kids or I love music or I, I love this ministry, I love these people, and you love, all of a sudden the burden of it's gone. Because you love. God wants to give us a spirit of love. And we need to ask him, God, just fill me with your love. Will you invite somebody to Easter? Well, if I can't get you to do it out of love, I hope I can get you to do it out of guilt. <laughs> It'll be a far greater, love, far greater meaning to if you do it out of love. Amen? And so I just challenge you to pray. God, does my heart love the people around me the way that it should? Here's the third thing that God gives us that's important for us to be fully charged. See, to be fully charged, to be fully charged, I've got to walk in the spirit of power. To be fully charged, I've got to walk in the spirit of love. And to be fully charged, I've got to walk in the spirit of of a sound mind. Sound means free from defect. It's sound. It's pure. It's true. So here is an uncomfortable truth. Are you ready for this? Some of you aren't going to like this. 
We all have defects in our thinking. You may look at somebody over there and say, man, they're messed up. Well, then go look in the mirror and go, well, you're messed up. Because we are. The very thought that we're judging other people in, in, a, in a condemning way instead of an encouraging way. Instead of seeing them and saying, you know what? They're a brother or sister with some defects in their thinking and I'm going to get around them and love them and speak to them in power and help them overcome those defects so that my thinking is defective. I want to walk in the truth. True, some people's defects are greater than others. But all of us have these. But our, see, our thinking has been influenced by our conditions. How we see family. How we work in families. When I'm talking to young couples who are about to get married, one of the things I try to drill down inside of them, inside of their lives, is how did their family work? Because, see, they're coming into this family thing with this idea of how their family worked. And many, many times you discover as you talk to them that their two families worked in different ways. And they both think that's natural. And when they get married and get together, there is a storm brewing. Because what's natural to one isn't natural to the other. They've got to get some thinking cleared up if they're going to walk in health. How we see other men and how we see other women, how we see each other, can be affected by the conditions of our life and how people have treated us, how we see people of different ages, how we see those older than us and those younger than us can be defective because of the culture that we live in. How we see sexuality, what is right and what is true, what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable, can all be affected in our thinking by the culture we've been raised in, by the circumstances of life, how we see money, how we see other races, how we see the needy, how we see the circumstances we're in today, how we think about them, how we respond to them, how we walk in them has all been built by something. How we see life and what's important in life and how we see God and who God is in our life. How we see the church and the church's role in our life. How we face disagreements. All of these things have been influenced by the conditions of our life. These conditions impact my mind. The family I grew up in, the schools that I went to and what they taught me about things, the culture that I live in and what it says about things, the entertainment that I listen to and I, I pour into my life and what it says about these issues of life and, and places of life, the influences, the friendships of my life, all of these things impact my thinking. So how do we free ourselves from the defects of the mind, especially with this understanding that we are so convinced that we're right, we can't see that we're wrong? Romans chapter 12 says this. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, 
which is your spiritual worship. Listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul's saying to them, your mind's got to get renewed. You've got to be renewed in the way you think. You've got to be transformed in the way you see these things in life. Otherwise, you're going to be still defective. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes again, he says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. We can't think like those who don't believe in God. We can't think like those who aren't followers of Christ. They are darkened in their understanding. They think they got it together, but their minds are darkened, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Because they haven't received the things of God. Their heart's hard to them. They're walking in this darkness. They have become, verse 19, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. So he's saying, the old way of thinking, you've got to put it off. It's corrupted by deceitful desires. The former manner of your life needs to be laid down. And he says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, listen, you can't bring your old way of living into this. You've got you to cast it off, learn the truth in your mind, how to live rightly, how to walk rightly, how to see rightly so that you can be pure. In Ephesians chapter 5, he goes on and says, talking, giving an illustration so we can understand how God works in us. Husbands, love your wives. And here's the important part. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. This is Jesus now. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water. What with? The word, with the word, so that you might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, and he might be, and she might be holy without blemish. This is why we tell you, this is why I keep saying, you need to be reading the word. You need to have a daily devotion time where you read the word, not to arm yourself with arguments against your wife or your husband but to be washed and to be cleansed and to be transformed by the Word. God, help me to see how to live. Help, 
God, show, show your truth to me in this. God, I'm just going to daily wash myself with your word. I'm going to let your word come into my mind and into my thinking. I want to be transformed by your word. I want to be without spot or blemish. How do I talk to my wife? How do I talk to my parents? How do I talk to people when I'm upset? How do I live my life? What are the values of life? See, if you're serious, if you're serious and you want to follow Christ, here's what you need to do. Take these things. How do I see people? How do I see the church? What role does it have in my life? How do I see God? What role? Who do I think God is and what role do I have? This is why we're doing Equip on Wednesday nights. We're going to start a series this, this Wednesday night on the Holy Spirit in my life. How do I see the work of the Holy Spirit in my life? We're going to start talking about this role in our life. That's why we have the, equip, uh, the, the starting point classes so you can get this foundation of who God is. How do I see the world? What's my role in the world? How do I see sexuality? What does it look like? What is it like? How do I see money? What is the role of money in my life? How do I see purity? What's really pure and right? How, what... what how am I supposed to use language? Why did God bless me with language? Am I using this gift to communicate rightly? How do I see family? Do I have family in the right order? What are the right priorities of life? Now, I guarantee you, if you started with those points right there, you could probably work through the next year. And yet there's more. And here's what we do. In all of these areas of my life, I need to check my viewpoint against the Word's viewpoint. I need to go in and say, okay, what about money? What does the Bible say about money? Jesus talked about it, uh, about, money, uh, about money and the things of our life, uh, about it more than just about anything else that he talked about because he knew the role of it. So what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about how I'm supposed to treat my wife? What does it say? What does the Bible say about the priorities of my life? What does the Bible say about the language and the things that come out of my lips? And you begin to go through Proverbs. And you begin to go through Matthew. And you begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount. And you begin to go into the teachings of Paul. And you begin to say, all right, God, I do not want to be a person with defective thinking. I don't want to be a person wired by my culture, wired by my upbringing, wired by my friends, wired by the influence of this world, wired by an entertainment industry. I want to be wired through your word. But that takes a serious believer. That takes somebody who really sits and says, Jesus is not only supposed to be my Savior, he's supposed to be my Lord. And if I trust him, his ways are better than my ways. So listen, God wants you to be fully charged. He wants you to have power. And as you study the movement of the Holy Spirit in your life and how the gifting of the Holy Spirit is supposed to use you, you're going to find yourself. I'm going to tell you a story tonight about a powerful, powerful moment I had with a young lady on this, this last trip that we were, we were on. I wasn't looking for it. God was looking for it. God wants you to walk in power.
God wants you to walk in love. He wants to purify us from the selfishness of this world and to let us be, to walk as people who can bless as he's blessed us. But God also wants us to walk in the spirit of a sound mind. And what we have to be able to look at ourselves and say is, listen, unless I'm rightly aligned with the word of God, I have defective thinking. And so in every area of my life, I'm going to start searching out the Word and saying, how should this be rightly aligned in my life? This is this a good word today? Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Brothers and sisters, you'll walk fully charged if you'll pursue these things. But it's got to be, you've got to make it up in your own mind. What are you going to pursue in life? I'm going to ask the prayer teams to come down to the front right now and and I would tell you as, they, as they're coming down, if you have not ever come to a point where you've asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, Jesus, this man who walked on the earth, the Son of God, gave his life on Calvary so that you can have eternal life. You need to step out as others are coming and walk down here. You can ask somebody next to you, say, hey, will you go with me? They'll come with you. And come down here and accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It is the single most important decision you'll ever live in your life. You'll ever make in your life. If you're walking in a spirit of fear in something, come down. You're, you're afraid of what's going to happen. Come down let somebody pray for you. Come down and ask, let somebody pray for you. Maybe you're, you recognize there's a place in life where you're powerless and you should be powerful. Come ask somebody to pray for you. If you have a physical need or some other need in your life, come down and let somebody pray with you. Don't miss this opportunity to let God move in your life. Father, in these next few moments, as we choose to come and, Father, obey your, your word, let us grow in you. And I pray for this church, Father, right now, any place where there's defective thinking in our mind, let us be convicted of it right now. Father, right now, across this place, let us see there's defective thinking here. And Lord, let us begin to seek out your word to see what is pure thinking and true thinking. Again, I thank you for this congregation. And I pray that you give them life to the full. I pray they'd live life fully charged. I pray you'd use them to be miracle starters as your spirit would lead them and direct them. And Father, bring us back tonight together to celebrate your presence. In Jesus' name. Amen.